Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast. This week, coming to you from Oren Moore in Glasgow. My name is Dan Schreiber, and please welcome to the stage, it's Anna Chazinski, James Harkin, and Andy Murray. Once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days, and in no particular order, here we go. Starting with my fact. My fact this week is that in Utah, it is illegal to wear a hat in your driving license photo, but you can wear a colander. (laughs) Yeah. One of those pasta strainers, you can wear them. (laughs) It's genuinely true, and it obviously pisses off the authorities whenever someone says it's my right to, and the reason they say it's their right to is they say they can do it on religious grounds. Yeah, is it pastafarianism? Pastafarianism. Such Um, strong name. Um, How many people know about pastafarianism? Oh, yeah. How many people are pastafarians? I'm a minister. Mm. Whoa, did someone just say you're a minister? minister, No! What? If anyone would like to get married tonight. <laughs> Which you can do. You can, you can, can you do it here in Glasgow? Can you get married? The, the, the legislation that brought in same-sex marriages uh, last year, part of that was to allow non, like, non-traditional religious groups to perform uh, weddings. Well, I'm, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Wait, you're, so... you're a minister, mate. You should have that covered. <laughs> Um, Dan, do you know I'm a minister of um, the priest of the Church of the Latter Day Dude? What? What? Yeah, I um, I signed up online. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very very stringent thing you have to go through. You go onto their website, you put your email. It's basically signing up to a mailing list, uh, but they say that then you're a minister in their church. What do you get to do? Um, apparently, what do you something. Get, what do you get to dude? <laughs> <laughs> do. do- Dude, you take this woman. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I don't think you're taking my religion very seriously. Sorry, sorry. What, what, um, what so it's do? from a movie that, with the dude. I don't know. I've the never seen it. Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh my god. Big Lebowski. You've never right. seen it. It's like it's like, what? It's like a, a Jew who hasn't read the Ten Commandments. <laughs> And when I signed up, I vowed to uphold the principles of dudism, to take it easy, to be easygoing to everyone I meet, and to keep my mind limber. <laughs> and I had to promise that the ordination was for me and not for someone else or my dog or whatever. <laughs> That's very cool. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. So what about pastafarianism? What's that all about? Well, it was started in 2005, wasn't it? And yeah. it's uh, people who are protesting against teaching intelligent design in schools in America as an alternative to evolution. And so they created their own kind of god, which was the spaghetti monster. Uh, yeah, and, they, and it's becoming, this is the thing, it's becoming quite a large religion to the point where people are, um, are ministers and are, <laughs> are wearing colanders on their head because that's the religious headgear that they wear in the photos. And they even have now, it's gone so far that there are some people who aren't quite sure whether or not they believe in the flying spaghetti, the, <laughs> in the spaghetti monster. So most pastafarians believe that he is tomato-based, whereas others believe... <laughs> Whereas others believe that it is pesto or cream. Um, 
and they're called spagnostics. Oh. And... <laughs> So, I have a fact about things that are not hats. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to find out things that are not hats that have been used as hats. So, I googled the phrase, worn as a hat. <laughs> Specifically that. And it, it turned out that uh, in 2002, a 17-year-old girl wore a chameleon as a hat through Manchester Airport and was stopped by the customs guys. <laughs> the Telegraph said, despite its ability to camouflage itself by changing colour... <laughs> The, the chameleon attracted the attention of people at the luggage carousel. And she'd flown all the way from Dubai with this thing on her head. Um, and it was a very endangered species, so they, they took it off her and, and sent it to a safe house and eventually sent it back, I suppose. There's, there's an Australian guy who uh, once smuggled a snake in his underpants to uh, Bali. Yeah, well, on a plane. Is that a euphemism? Yeah. And... Oh, yeah, I might have misheard that story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, okay, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, on wearing odd things on your head. I, I wouldn't put a snake in my pants, sorry. No, sorry, no, please, <laughs> please, I think this is a fruitful thing to pursue. Yeah. I would probably put it in, um, you know, those ice cream uh, lolly containers. I'd put it in the ice cream lolly container and then I'd put the handle on, you know, the lid on. Right. I'd, do I, I don't think anyone knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're making a lolly and you pour the lolly stuff into the mould and then you put the mould in the freezer? I put it in one of those. Well, that'd be quite a small snake. Yeah. You should see my lolly moulds. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not the first time I've heard you use that chat up one. <laughs> and it won't be the last. <laughs> so um, there's a guy in America. Yeah. Um, who decided to wear a colander on his head for his gun licence. And um, the police took his guns away. <laughs> That's what you have to do to get your guns taken away. <laughs> he said, I was told I was mentally competent and I've never misused my guns or intend to do so, so it's a real kick in the guts that if I was told that I was to go for another photo with a colander on my head, my guns will be taken away again. Mm. So apparently, if you wear a colander on your head for your um, gun licence, they're going to take it off you. And he wow. said he's going to wear his um, colander on his head for his driving license. And he said, what are they going to do? Take my car away? <laughs> I think probably they will. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read an account that uh, it's someone in Russia got the first ever license. I think they were the fifth person worldwide to be officially allowed to wear a colander on their head because of this uh, flying spaghetti monster thing. Yeah. But it said that they, this person, if he was driving, he had to be wearing the colander at all times. <laughs> Because you have to look like you do in your license. <laughs> I think he wore a knitted colander as well. It, yeah, it's not what? an actual colander. It's, a, it's just a knitted one. Um, on driving licences, um, there's a guy called Jared Hyams, who lives in Victoria and Australia, who's been uh, fighting with authorities for five years now for the right to have a penis drawing as his signature on his <laughs> driving licence. <laughs> And he said this all started, he was registering for a change of electoral address and he thought this would be funny, rather than sign it, I'm going to draw a cartoon penis, which is quite a good drawing of the cartoon penis, actually. <laughs> and um, he said, I was receiving letters and phone calls telling me I couldn't have that as my signature. And I thought, that's interesting. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> 
you don't have to... A signature doesn't have to be you writing your name. It just has to be a mark that you produce that can look the same every time. So if you can draw a consistent <laughs> penis picture, that's your signature. I'm with, I'm with him on this. Well, I think he's getting away with it. I think it might be on his driving licence uh, thing yeah. now. And I think he's been signing my front door all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we need to move on fairly soon uh-huh. to the next fact. Anything else before the, we do? There is a guy. There's a Swedish artist. I just love this guy. He's called Frederick Sacker, and he painted the picture for his driving license, right? So he, he did a uh, self-portrait because you have to submit a, a likeness and a photo, but it doesn't have to be a photo of you. It just has to be a photo that looks enough like you that if someone looked at it, they thought, oh, that's him. So wow. he did a self-portrait, he took a photo of the self-portrait, and he submitted it, and the authorities said, fine. What? They, they, said, they, were, they were very cool about it. They just said, the picture we have received looks like any other photo, so we have had no reason to question it. And they let him do it. Isn't that cool? I mean, they're accepting colanders and penises now, so... <laughs> I find that unsurprising. Um, can I just... There's a problem with driving licence applications in the US, and this was raised by a woman in Florida last year, I think, when uh, she'd had... She got her driving licence renewed, um, and she'd had it for a few months, and she started noticing people were treating her a bit weirdly, so she tried to stay in a hotel, and she couldn't stay. They wouldn't let her stay. She went to Disney World, and they said, I'm sorry, we can't let you park here. We can't let you come in. And um, eventually, someone checked her driving license and pointed out that they'd accidentally labelled her as a sexual predator rather than an organ donor. <laughs> Whoa. That's a different kind of organ. Yeah. There. <laughs> Apparently those two boxes are just right next They're to right each other. Right what box is that, though? Because it's not like there's an other interesting facts section on my driving license. <laughs> There's no trivia bit on, my, on yeah. your passport, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Andy that... says lolly mold enthusiast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we move on to our next fact? Sure. Uh, okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is, there was a Victorian job that consisted solely of pushing people into the sea. <laughs> this was a real thing. These people were called dippers. And um, so it's all to do with uh, Victorian swimming etiquette, basically. So um, they they were quite strict about segregating sexes for reasons of modesty and decency. Um, You would have these people whose job it was to push you quickly into the water so that your modesty was preserved as a woman. I think it was mostly for female swimmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, these bathing houses that they used to go into, that's the thing that got taken into the... Yeah. So so to to go swimming, you had to go into a special cart on wheels. Um, Then they would take horses, attach them to the cart. The horses would drag the machine into the sea... You would change, and then you would dive in off the end. Yeah. yeah. You'd mostly go nude because, and I'm, I'm hoping that you guys can confirm this, <laughs> swimming at the beach uh, and these big laborious things with horses bringing you down there were invented before the swimming suit. So everyone went naked, and they're like, how do we get around this naked thing? Let's build a massive house, and, and then we'll get a horse, and we'll bring it in. <laughs> They just didn't have um, swimming did. I think they did have, like, woolen swimming suits, but they got quite heavy. But everyone was drowning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
people did swim naked uh, at the start of the Victorian period, but then about halfway through, everyone got a little bit prudish, as we all know, and that's when they had these kind of houses and things, I think. Right. Yeah. Because swimming in the Victorian era at first was really more for medical purposes than holidaying purposes, wasn't it? And so I think sometimes some people thought you had to be dipped in three times in and out, and it was quite important how quickly you got dipped in, how many times, and that could cure you of TB or flu or whatever you had. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Mm. And they were really unpopular as well. People hated the dippers. Um, so somebody said they were the most horrid-looking creatures I ever beheld. Good heavens, to be dipped by one of them and soused like a condemned puppy or kitten. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was looking into uh, swimming around the world now because I thought, oh, I wonder if different cultures have different ways of going to the beach. And if you live in China and you go to the beach, how would, how would that be? In China, there's a big new fashion with swimming costumes and I'd not heard of this, and maybe you all have, but called the face kini. So it's basically, they wear what effectively is a Nacho Libre mask oh, yeah. over their heads because uh, they don't want suntans. It's a, big, it's a big kind of no-no there to have a, a suntan. Yeah. So they wear these, yeah, these Mexican wrestling masks, and they go to the beach. So if you go to the beach in China, it's just packed yeah. with wrestlers. So like- <laughs> <laughs> If, if you wear one of those, can you go naked on the rest of your body? Because it, it doesn't matter, because no one knows who you are. So this is the thing. A lot of people do it now. It's not about the tan anymore. It's about an anonymous state at the beach. You can do what, you could hang out whatever you want to hang out and just go and do whatever you want, and no one will know who you are. That's, they actually did that. Um, women used to wear masks in the 16th and 17th centuries for exactly that reason. It was a fashion thing. So women of high society would go around in masks, and they'd often wear them in bed, and that was to stop your skin being... Being exposed too much to sunlight and stop yourself getting a tan because it was unfashionable. Wow. Yeah. Do you know it was illegal to be topless in America in the early 20th century and uh, yeah, people a, were arrested a, for it? As a man or a woman? As a man, sorry. Uh, oh. I did, what, how sexist am I? I just assumed by to be, I meant all men. Um, yeah, in 1935, 42 men were arrested for being topless in, uh, in Atlantic City and uh, uh, people who were arresting them said, We will have no gorillas on our beaches. Um, and yeah it was a thing it was thought very improper Um, Uh, the man who invented the lava lamp was a nudist wasn't he yes was he yeah he used to make videos of um, women swimming underwater naked and then presumably went from there to lava lamp (laughs) obviously (laughs) the logical jump yeah (laughs) do you know what's happened to bathing machines today do you know what happened to them No. no They are now, they were repurposed into those bathing huts that you get at the back of beaches. Oh, so they, they just took the, they wheeled them back off the beach oh. as it came, as people thought, actually, it's more sensible for us to wear a swimming costume. Yeah. They wheeled them back to the back of the beach, they took the wheels off, and now uh, that's why they're fashionable, because bathing machines were transformed into that. Oh, someone last year built a new bathing machine. Incredibly exciting. This is the first one built for 100 years. It's on the coast somewhere, obviously. <laughs> 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 Um, I think it was in Margate, and he raised about £30,000 on Kickstarter, and it's really cool. It features uh, one of the little special features that you used to get on bathing machines, which was a modesty hood, um, which is this little canvas tent, and basically the end that's facing the sea, you kind of lower this canvas hood uh, almost all the way to the water so that you can have even more privacy. Yeah. yeah, that specific awning was invented by a guy called Benjamin Beale, and he's often given credit for inventing the entire concept of this beach house, uh, the bathing house. Uh, but all he did was the awning, and he just got all the credit. That is outrageous. I'm so glad that you are rewriting everyone's assumptions about this guy. <laughs> glad we've righted that wrong. Wow. <laughs> 
I know I'm you all separate. thought. <laughs> Fuck <on>. Benjamin Beal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I was reading about there's a because uh, obviously uh, people love swimming and there's a lot of beautiful places in the UK to go swimming. There's one absolute. If you look at photos of this place, absolutely beautiful. Um, and it's called the Lagoon of Buxton. Absolutely stunning, but it's it's really toxic. It's really dangerous, <laughs> and so they're doing everything they can to stop people from swimming in it. But because it looks so beautiful, people just ignore the signs and keep going in. So one sign that's up there it says, uh, "Warning: Do not enter water due to high pH levels. This can cause skin and eye irritation, stomach problems, fungal infections such as thrush." It says that inside there are car wrecks, dead animals, excrement, rubbish, <laughs> and still people keep going in. They keep going in for a swim, and so they're getting they... quite ill. So what they've had to do in the end, they've had to dye the lagoon black so that people now go, oh, that looks disgusting. So they've altered a beautiful place. Yeah. Or a beautiful I wonder place. quite wow. how beautiful it can be when it's full of car wrecks and <laughs> excrement. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. Beautiful turd floating by. <laughs> Ah, the serenity. <laughs> there are swimming pools in New Zealand which are being terrorised by mystery pooers. And <laughs> this is Terrorized. in... <laughs> this is terrorism in New Zealand. Yeah, there's a, it's a swimming pool. Uh, one is in a place called Middlemarch, uh, but there are a couple who've experienced it. And there were three faeces incidents in a week, so they think it was deliberate. There was one incident where... Um, this was in uh, Invercargill's Splash Palace pool, so avoid that. Uh, where there was a I huge... I it sounds beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> no, James, I went and I got thrush. <laughs> yeah. So this place is full of shit and Andy's uh, vaginal infections. <laughs> well, no, it said there was, a, there was a large amount of human waste deposited into the deep end, so everyone was evacuated and moved to the learner's pool, and then they were evacuated from that when it was discovered the learner's pool was also full of feces. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next fact. Okay, it's time for fact number... <laughs> Time for fact number three, and that is Chazinski. Yes, my fact is that Desperate Dan stopped eating cow pie because of mad cow disease. Um, <laughs> he gave up cow pie, which is his favourite food. Oh. So that was really sad. Yeah, I think it was in 1996. And um, sources vary, and I can't find the original comic strips, but um, I think he started eating Aunt Aggie's vegetable and fish options as a replacement. <laughs> oh. uh, but the cow pies he ate... So the thing with uh, mad cow disease or CJD is that um, the danger was eating strange bits of a cow, wasn't it? And Desperate Dan did used to eat the whole cow because it had like the horn sticking out and the tail sticking out. So I would say if anyone was in danger of contracting it... It was probably him. We should say for listeners overseas and things like that who Desperate Dan is, just in case people oh, yeah. don't know. Yeah. So the, the, Britain's two biggest uh, comics ever are called The Beano and The Dandy, and The Dandy starred uh, cover star Desperate Dan, who was a cowboy, and he was this huge guy, and um, like, he did amazing things. He had to shave with a blowtorch because he was so tough, <laughs> and uh, he parted his hair by firing a pistol through it. <laughs> <laughs> and... It's just part of this amazing tradition of really, really great comics and really imaginative things. I read these when I was a boy, and um, they're, they're, they're very they are good. so good. He uh, used to smoke through a drain pipe. He used to use a drain pipe as a cigarette or a pipe, I think, didn't he? And it was a dustbin full of rubbish at the end of it, which I think he lit and smoked. He was pretty hardcore. He was. Uh, ah. 
He had a gun. He had to give that up as well in the 90s or the 80s for political correctness. Gone mad. So I don't know how he parted his hair after that. Maybe he went for... I think he had a water pistol after that. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. He sounds a lot better than the guy who was in the first episode of The Beano called Harry Dan. Um, ah. And Harry Dan was an old man whose long white beard usually saved the day. <laughs> And in the first episode, he used his beard as a sail to win a boat race. And you could rescue children from down wells? I'm sure he did. I think I can see why Dennis the Menace took his, <laughs> took his top spot after a short while. There's that amazing fact, isn't there, about Dennis the Menace, which is that they... So there are two Dennis the Menaces. One is an American version, and then one is the British version. And they were both created in the same year, independent of each other. They had no idea that they were being published. They both had the red and black costume. They both were called Dennis the Menace. I think it might have even been in the same week. I think it, it was. was the same wow. week. Wow. Really, yeah. really, yeah. And it's often used by people trying to explain coincidences and why they're not surprising that uh, you, in a world where infinite things can happen, you expect the odd coincidence. So actually, when we discovered that, we should have gone, oh, yeah, obviously, mad things will happen. Yes. And just move on. It's not amazing at all, in fact. Uh, the other <laughs> argument about that is that ideas have a time. So maybe there was some other children with spiky hair in some other cartoon and other people with red and black and other people called Dennis and... Um, the same thing came with uh, calculus when Leibniz and um, Newton? Yeah, Newton all came up with it at the same time, almost at exactly the same time. And it's like, well, was it a weird coincidence or was it just the time for that yeah. theory to mm. come up? Yeah. Um, Dennis Amanis' dad now has spiky hair. In fact, the Beano did an extremely exciting reveal a few years ago, which was that uh, they showed on one of the bits of comic strip a photograph of Dennis the Menace from the 80s, and they had Dennis's dad saying, look, that's a picture of me. So it transpires that Dennis the Menace is actually now Dennis's dad. Oh. I don't know when the switch Wait, happened. they used a photo of Dennis the Menace from the 80s. <laughs> Dennis's dad said, that used to be me. Yeah. But there's, said, no, this is... there's no plot line where <laughs> Dennis grows up in the 90s and fathers a son. <laughs> I was like, D D D D that is stupid. <laughs> I'm so angry. <laughs> anyway, he, sorry, he's changed his hairstyle, Dennis and Menace's dad, so they've tried to upgrade the Beano to make it more realistic. And the case is now that we live in a happier time where parents don't all abuse their children and kids don't all hate their parents. And so Dennis's dad is now, he has spiky hair and he's a bit cool and groovy. He's a little bit like, I used to be a rebel too. Yeah. Is there an authority figure who's still the enemy, though? Because that uh, was always the thing. It was always anarchy, you know, the Bass Street kids. Always, yeah, yeah. You know, like, Teach was the enemy. Yeah. I think the teachers are still quite bad, but... Um... This is cool. The guy who draws the Bass Street kids, this is a niche fact now for people who read the beat when they were young. <laughs> He's called David Sutherland, and he has drawn that comic strip since 1962. Wow. 53 years. He's drawn over 2,000 of them. Well, here's a weird one as well. Um, Neil Tennant of the Pet Shop Boys... So the lead singer of the Pet Shop Boys, um, between 1975 and 1977, he worked as an editor for Marvel UK. So his job was to anglicize all of the, all the things that were Americanized in, in the original comic. Uh, and his main job was to look at all the points of, say, like cleavage or too short a skirt, pointing out, and then they had to draw over the cleavage and readdress it because we had different indecency laws over here. Really? So before Pet Shop Boys, he was stopping cleavage from getting into the <laughs> comic books of wow. There was a big the thing in America in the... When was it? Oh, it was in the 50s, 50s and 60s, yeah. where they had a censorship of comics. They might have even banned, it, banned them for a while, but they definitely censored them. And there was yeah. a guy called Frederick Wharton 
who wrote a pamphlet called Seduction of the Innocent, where he complained about all these comics and what they were doing to children. And he said that Batman and Robin were obviously homosexual, and Porky Pig was an open invitation to buggery. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I, I, I have never got that from the cartoons. What was this man's name? He was called Frederick Wortham. Oh, and he was a been... psychiatrist, so he should know, oh, actually. Wow, okay. I think there might have been a little bit more going on in the Wortham yeah. brain. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just on that subject, though, with Porky Pig, um, they, uh, there's a very big uh, porn website in America called Pornhub, and they recently looked into the analytics of the most searched for words. Within People go on, they put in a word like, like uh, MILF was a massive one in a lot of American states, stuff like that. They found that in Nebraska, Arkansas, and Tennessee, the number one search term was cartoon. Another fact, in South London, it was lolly mold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, While we're on this... Um, I, I read a list of uh, characters in the Beano. Okay. Um, and they included um, Little Dead Eye Dick, <laughs> Deep Down Daddy Neptune, <laughs> Cocky Dick, Wandering Willy, <laughs> Sticky Willy, and Polly Wally Doodle and her Great Big Poodle. <laughs> Oh, that's so amazing. every single one of those is an invitation to buggery. <laughs> <laughs> if Frederick had been around... An open, not a private invitation to buggery. It's on, on a billboard in the central town. On Facebook, it is. this is an open event. <laughs> Do you guys know what the world's first comic strip is? Um, Bio Tapestry. It's uh, <laughs> <That's> very funny. <laughs> a lot of good comedy in there if you yeah. want to see it. No, I think so. I think we're assuming a comic strip is uh, it's a series of cartoons that are sent out to people's ha- homes. So the bear tapestry was just in one place. You didn't receive it through the letterbox. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Uh, which have speech bubbles and people talking. And the first one was made in Glasgow. And it was the Glasgow. Well done. Uh, <laughs> it was the Glasgow Looking Glass. And it was in the. In 1825, it had its first issue, and the first comic strip in it was called The History of the Coat, and it was... <laughs> it was the adventures of a coat going from one owner to the next. Oh, that's, that's a great really idea. That's really cool. Quite that's a great cool, idea. yeah. Um, and also, it had a lot of hard-hitting satire. It had a lot of bitching about the English in it, um, even though it was set up by an English guy who'd had to flee London because he was in so much debt. So he went to Scotland and was obviously like, OK, cool, I like, I like these guys. He made a, thing, a comic strip which partly bitched about the English and then he racked up so much gambling and drinking debts in Scotland that he had to flee again back to England. <laughs> and, and so it stopped. <laughs> um, do you know who invented the speech bubble? Oh, controversial. I've got a theory. What's okay. yours? <laughs> My theory is that it's 650 BC and it was the Mesoamericans, so early okay. Central American people. Are they of yeah. soup fame? Or is that... <laughs> Meso. <laughs> Have I pronounced that right? Just in case we get letters. Is it Meso? Or... All right. I don't it... think any of them are going to write to you now, Andy. <laughs> Um, but they have little speech bubbles. They have drawings of people, and they have these tiny little sort of arrows showing that, like, to a dagger drawing, and it shows that people are slagging each other off oh. in the in the drawings. Wow. Yeah. yeah, and I that is a speech bubble, sort of signifying abuse. And do you agree with that, Anna? 
I do agree with that, probably, uh-huh. yes. Uh, you know Super Ted? You know that his first language is not, in fact, English? <laughs> it's Welsh. What? Yeah. Really? Super Ted's first language is Welsh. It's a Welsh cartoon, and when it first went out, it was in Welsh, and they, uh, they just dubbed it into English. <laughs> uh, we should move on soon. Uh, have, you, have you guys got anything else before we do? I quite liked the quote from uh, Ewan Kerr, who was a uh, kind of top Sorry, dog. Sorry, Ewan Kerr. Pull the other one over. How did I not see that? I'm not really doing my job properly. I wrote down the name Ewan Kerr and I didn't notice. I'm so embarrassed. Yeah, so Ewan Kerr uh, is a... <laughs> Is a top guy at DC Thompson, which makes the Beano and the Dandy. And uh, he was, there's an interview with him semi bemoaning how they've had to go a bit politi- politically correct. So, corporal punishment, smoking, and racial stereotypes are now taboo. <laughs> it does limit us in a way. <laughs> but we get to be slightly ruder than in the old days, a bit more bodily functions instead. We know that's what the kids laugh at now. Those stupid kids, not laughing at the racial stereotypes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the good right, old let's, days. Uh, let's move on to our final fact of the night, and that is James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is that the oldest sperm is worm sperm. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I just like the cadence of it. <laughs> um, but we found some 50 million year old sperm cells. And not us, w- the podcast. <laughs> You leave us out of it. <laughs> I was swimming in Buxton. <laughs> um, yeah, 50 million-year-old sperm cells, and they have been found an, in an Antarctic worm. And they were in a fossilised cocoon. So that's Because normally so, sperm cells are so small and delicate, they normally die and they don't get fossilised. Uh, but these ones did get fossilised, and they're the oldest ones that we have, and they're from worms. Fifty million did years. Did we know that wow. sperm had evolved at that point, or is this is this the first proof we've had that it did evolve? Then? Uh, do I know? don't know about that actually, yeah. but yeah, I suppose there was no evidence that they'd that they'd evolved at that stage. Yeah. Can't have been. Yeah. Does it still function? <laughs> <laughs> there is a sperm that's worked after. Um, 23 years, I think. So the world's oldest baby is 23 years old. This is old. an Australian guy who uh, got quite ill, and he was, I think, 15 years old at the time, and he decided to save his sperm before oh, he was going to yeah. have some kind of operation. He survived uh, his problem. He uh, grew old, he got married, and then I think the operation that he needed at the point meant that he could no longer produce sperm. Mm. So he had this sitting there uh, from all those years ago, and they used that, and it worked. And so he has a kid from, yeah. his, from his sperm from when he was 15. It was like frozen in a lab. It wasn't just sitting there. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to freeze it properly, don't you? You have to freeze it at really low temperatures. Yeah. It, like, the freezer temperature will not do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As a man who yeah. spends a lot of his time, apparently, by a refrigerator. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, I'm now thinking that lolly mold sounds like a disease. Just a touch of lolly moles, don't you worry. <laughs> um, there yeah. are sperm smugglers as well who are freezing sperm. Sperm spug- smuggling is happening in... <laughs> not smuggling. <laughs> That's what they should call it, isn't they it? They should call it smuggling or something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what, so people smuggling sperm? Like yeah. 
bull sperm and ah. bull semen. No, is uh, this is in prisons. Uh, so people who are in prison who aren't allowed to have contact with uh, the, their wives um, are smuggling sperm. So there's a baby who was born to um, Regina Granato in America in 1999. Even though her husband had been in prison since 1987, he was a gang leader um uh gangster and yeah this baby was born because she'd smuggled in a cryogenic sperm freezing kit wow. and given it to him and then he'd spermed into it and then she he'd <laughs> he given sperm it into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, that's the that's the verb that's what you do yeah <laughs> But she smuggled it in because they're not allowed to touch each other. So she smuggled in the kit. The only people who the prisoners are allowed to touch uh, in, uh, I think it's in Pennsylvania, are people under the age of eight who are allowed to give their parents a hug. So she brought her husband's nephew in and gave him the cryogenic sperm freezing kit so that he could hug his uncle and his uncle could uh, slip the kit out from his coat pocket. Uh, I was uh, I was Googling uh, worm and sperm. There's a lot of amazing things, but they're so disgusting. They're, this is a really hard topic to talk about because... Okay, so, for example, uh, there's, there's a type of worm, a female worm, that when, after she's been spermed into... Uh, <laughs> she can then decide that she doesn't like the sperm, so then she puts her face into it and sucks out the sperm and just spits it away. So, wow. Yeah. So is this a kind of worm? This is a kind of worm, yeah. yeah so this worm cool. does it. It just goes, no, I'm not having that, and goes in, takes, sucks it out. And so it's got to the point where the sperm, I think, has evolved now to be a bit savvy to it. So it has this little clinging stuff inside. So actually, it's like a, you need to properly suck. Because <laughs> it's hanging on. Because that, That's amazing. Yeah. It's like an arms race between... The two uh, yeah. sexes in wow. the species. Yeah, yeah, because the scaly cricket, I think the male scaly cricket has to copu- copulate constantly. It co- can copulate more than 50 times in three hours or something because the female scaly cricket, for some evolutionary reason that's beyond us, her response when he does copulate into her is to take it out immediately and eat the sperm. So <laughs> it's very rare you slip one through. <laughs> she, just goes, she thinks you're feeding her. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I found a flatworm and... Buckle up, guys. <laughs> it's called Macrostomum hystrix, right? And if it is lonely and if it can't find a mate, um, they're all hermaphrodites, so they have both kinds of genitalia. If it's lonely, it can stab itself in the head with a sperm-filled hypodermic needle to inseminate <laughs> itself. How- We've never seen it doing it. <laughs> But scientists left certain worms on their own and they, and they then came back later and they found, oh, they've got a lot of sperm in their head. <laughs> but how did it get there? And it, they, these worms had it sort of injected themselves because they can sort of um, fertilise themselves using, their, using sort of both uh, bits of genitalia. And, yeah, and they, they hatched and they had, they had hatchlings. They call that oh. selfing. Do they? Wow. Yeah. Do they have selfing sticks? <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is a ground louse um, that reproduces by slapping one giant sperm onto a female's back. Um, and its Latin name is Zorotypus impolitus. <laughs> you know, 
larger animals tend to have smaller sperm. Do they? That's really? uh, the way the... I think a study was done on this really recently to try and work out why. And it's quite interesting. So um, uh, fruit fly sperm is the largest sperm in nature, I think. Uh, elephant sperm are very small. So I think a fruit fly sperm is uh, about a thousand times bigger than an elephant sperm, off the top of my head, something like that. And uh, it's because if you're a bigger animal, then the sperm have further to swim. And so it, to, in order for them to have a chance to succeed, you've got to produce more of them uh, to make it more likely that one of them is going to finally get to the egg. And if you produce more of them, it takes up more energy so you can't make them as big. Whereas if you're a little fruit fly, it's like the sperm is easy. It's about, got about a centimetre to go. And so you can produce a few giant sperm. Yeah. Oh, and um, people who are more attractive uh, men-wise um, have worse sperm. So men really? who are attractive to women tend to be men with deeper voices who are a bit more manly, who evolution has told us we should be attracted to because they've got more testosterone. But actually, it's a trade-off. So if you fed all your testosterone to building yourself ridiculously large biceps or a penis or whatever, then you... <laughs> what, what? <laughs> they have less healthy sperm. You've seen that room in the gym? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume that's what they were doing. <laughs> so, yeah, keep going. That's it. So, that's it. So, that's the, there's too much testosterone going to making, lifting oh, weights with your penis or whatever, so it's, <laughs> you don't have enough leftovers to make healthier sperm. I find that really surprising. I can't believe that testosterone is spent on attractiveness in that sense. Well, I suppose if you're spending on attractiveness, then you're going to attract more mates. And so there's a higher likelihood that you'll be able to fertilise one of them. So it's almost like, uh, okay, well, never mind. The less attractive people will give you some better sperm instead. So that the one mate you finally do manage to seduce, you've got a higher chance. <laughs> you leave my wife out of this. <laughs> well, goodness, haven't we learnt a lot tonight? <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we've said, please don't in this particular <laughs> episode. <laughs> we can be found on Twitter. I'm at, at Schreiberland. James. At Eggshaped. Andy. At Lollymold Lover. <laughs> at Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yeah, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are there. Uh, thank you so much for listening at home. Uh, Glasgow, that was awesome. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you.